and God is always good. And now this session, what we want to talk about is, we want to talk about Jesus. And we want to think about how Jesus shows us the love of God the Father. Jesus wanted his disciples to see the face of God, their Heavenly Father, in him. So, I want to tell you this um, dream I had a few years ago that really stuck with me. In the dream, I was dreaming about a time when I was 11 years old, having my golden birthday. And I got to have some friends over, which we didn't get a lot of birthday parties. There's eight kids in our family. But it was my golden birthday, so I got to have some girlfriends over. And my father decided to give me a birthday spanking. <laughs> now, he thought it was hilarious. But in the dream, I remember, I could feel the horrified feeling and the embarrassment of him giving me this birthday spanking. And then to top it off, I found out later, he put like his hand on my, you know, backside here, and then he was slapping his hand so it wasn't, he really wasn't even touching me, you know. But I was so embarrassed that I never thought about that. I just wanted him to stop. So I'm having this most horrible dream remembering this incident. And then I woke up. Or, no, I didn't wake up yet. And then all of a sudden, I looked up in my dream, and there was the face of my father, only it was the Heavenly Father. And it was huge. It was as huge as the heavens. And his face was just so brilliant and so kind and so loving. And I was really small in my dream, and I said, I offered that up in honor of the Holy Trinity. Just like this little girl stuff, you know. This was a dream, okay, guys? And... The face of my father, who was God the Father, was laughing hysterically with joy. And I thought, oh my gosh, and I woke up and I was I was just like, oh my gosh, I got to see the face of God through the face of my Heavenly Father. And it was so beautiful and so loving. And that was what started to teach me more about this uniting and offering up our lives like Christ did. So we have to study who Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ came from heaven to teach us who we are as sons and daughters of God. And so Jesus 
is so important that we think about because sometimes our Jesus gets to be too small. He's too small. We don't treat him like he, he is. And so I want to start off with this scripture from John. In the beginning was the word. So this, John wants to take us back to the beginning when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed together. Jesus had not become incarnate. He had not become one of us. In the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Like you can meditate just on that for a day. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. So the word is life, and everything and everyone came into into being because of the word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. This is the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace, and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. I met a nun last summer down at Franciscan University, Sister Mary Michael, and she taught me something that has helped me for the entire year. She said, Jane of Hour, whenever you get caught up into something, You know what I'm talking about. Whenever you get caught up into something, you need to drop. You need to stop. And you need to pray. And you need to ask God, what is the truth about what I'm dealing with here? And then please give me the grace to act accordingly to your will. Now, when you hear the scripture that he was full of grace and truth, it made sense what Sister Mary Michael was trying to teach me. Because when we are in a situation or we are into something, Many times, we don't have a clue how to handle it because we don't even know what's going on, really. 
But if we can stop, drop, and pray, and ask for what is the truth that I am dealing with, and then grant me the grace to act according to your will. This is how we start to conform our identity in the Father like Jesus did. Everything Jesus did was in relationship with his heavenly Father. He did not come to do his own works. He came to do the works of God. And what's really interesting is the way God will work with us. He loves us. He loves our humanity. He loves everything about us. The things he wants us to give up, he'll ask us to give up if it's not in conformity to his will. But many, many things are fine as long as they are not our God. As long as everything that we have and we are is put at his service. And I can give you some examples of this. I smoked years ago. And one of I was asked by by um, by a good priest to give it up. And when he asked me to give it up, what did I do? I smoked more. <laughs> so I went back to him and I said, Father, don't ask me to give this up because I'm doing I'm smoking more. He goes, Oh no, that's terrible. He goes, all right, I won't ask you to give it up, but you need to pray about this. Yes, Father. So I've been praying about it for at least three weeks. <laughs> One day I was in, I was praying, and God brought it up. And he just brought it up by reminding me that Father had asked me to pray about it. So I said, Lord, Lord Jesus. Father wants me to quit smoking, but I don't think he understands. I really don't smoke that much. <laughs> so I presented my case. And I said, I only smoke a little. And I really like it. But I said, if you want me, Jesus, to quit smoking, I give you full permission to take it away. Help me to want to quit smoking. Or just take it away. Otherwise, if you don't mind, I'm still going to smoke a little. <laughs> that was my prayer. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know if it was a Thursday or Friday, but usually on the weekend, my husband and I would go out for dinner or something, and you know, you can't smoke in front of kids, so I had my little smokes. Kept them in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> So we were at this restaurant, we went outside, and it wasn't like in those days it wasn't as crazy it is now, like you can still kind of smoke. Not inside, but at least outside. So anyway, I go and I light up, and it burns all the way down. And I went, oh no! <laughs> I just froze, I was like, I think he took it away. <laughs> so I tried to get just a little one this time. You know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like so upset, so I put it out. And my husband, he goes, "What are you doing? That's a perfectly good cigarette." <laughs> I go, 
all. And I told him about my prayer. And he said, well, don't throw that pack away. They're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have any more smokes that night. So I kept them in my freezer. And then like a few days later, I don't know why, I just thought, oh, I think I'm, I'll go outside and have smokes. So I went and got my smokes, went outside, and I literally sat on the piano. And I tried it. I hated them. Oh, I was like, and I was just like, oh, and I realized like they were like a friend, you know, and I just didn't want to give them up, but I thought, I hate them, and I, I was done, okay? So it's kind of like there's some things that God, if he wants you to, it's over, it's over, but I think often we kind of beat ourselves up, thinking, oh, I should do this, and I should do that, and I should do this. And a lesson that I have learned that in, in Jesus, if we take it to him and we ask him, what is it with this? Are you upset about this? Do you need this? If you don't want me to do this anymore, help me to change. Because that's why he came. He came to set us free. Sometimes he came to set us free from things that we don't think we need to be set free from. But obviously with that, he did. Now I'll give you another story, just because I feel like it. <laughs> so we were really struggling financially at one point. And I thought, all right, Gina Barber, I know you like wine, but really? So I told my husband, I think we shouldn't be buying as much wine. And I do enjoy it, especially on the weekends. But I said, you know, we're the, the budget's tight. We should put this towards what we need. And, you know, just that's part of part. Of, our missionary like, I think God wants us to get this up. So anyway, that was it. And we were doing just fine until Dr. Matt shows up. Shows up on Friday night. Ding dong! Who's at the door? Dr. Matt went downstairs. Hi guys! I was just over here at the local liquor store. Father's love for us. 
the sum of the Father's love. And because we are made in his image and likeness, there's a part of all of us, deep and deep, 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 that knows there's got to be a good person in here. <laughs> there's got to be a good person in here. There has to be more. But because we're human, we tend to focus on the faults and the weaknesses of ourselves and the faults and the weaknesses of others, and we become overwhelmed by it. And this is why Sister Mary Michael was trying to teach me and teach us to stop and to drop and to pray to Jesus who is truth whose grace, so that we can see the truth about who we really are. Loved, wanted, not just put up with. <laughs> and how many people think, well, I guess God's going to just have to put up with me because I don't have any rest to go. <laughs> no, God wants you to stay to remain with him, no matter what. And if anybody tries to boot you out or take your spot, who's got to tell them? Find your own spot. This is my spot. I get one. Because when he created us, he created each and every person to a unique, non-repeatable relationship with God himself and no one can take your spot and so you don't have to worry about being like somebody else God didn't make you to be like somebody else God made you to be who you are and once that realization comes to us when we can embrace it then we can work on loving ourselves and loving ourselves means to accept ourselves just the way God does right now and always has and always will we are enough we are enough and anything good we ever become or anything good we ever do is simply because his grace and his truth is in us and he's doing it within us and the joy we feel when we have a success is the joy he feels when we have a success. And it glorifies him in us. And he knows we couldn't do it. Because most of us wouldn't even try to do anything. On some days because we don't think we're good enough. How many people understand what I'm trying to teach you? Do you see this? This is so true. So I'm going to give you a funny example of this. But I think it works for a lot of things. When I was in high school, I was on a gymnastics team. And I preferred to do the floor. So for the first year, I just told my coach, I can't do those other things. Hmm. Well, he was not too happy with me. Sophomore year, I was really good on my one on the mat. But I wasn't, I was doing the beam a little bit. I could do a few things on that beam. Okay? But I was not working on the other stuff. And the other girls, were actually not as good as gymnasts were much better gymnasts than me 
and they were working all four. They were being obedient. Okay, and I was not, because what? Because I was afraid. Maybe a little lazy. Maybe more confident here. Felt safer. It's called a safe place. There's nothing safe about being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing safe about it. Except his love. He'll love you through it. Oh, I say to people, it's wonderful, awesome, and awful all at the same time. <laughs> okay, so what happened was I recognized that I wasn't up to my potential and I wasn't feeling good about it. And so I thought about it and I went up to my coach and I just said, could I start to work out on the things that I haven't? He said, well, what made you change your mind? And I said, well, I'm not as good as the other girls. I'm not earning as many points for the team. He goes, yeah. <laughs> You're speaking the truth. You know, that was truth. Now I needed the grace to do this. And so I came in, and I was working really hard and I on the bars, and I started learning the moves. And I, I could do an eagle. I, could, I was really twisting and turning. And I mean, it's so much fun. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> but in my mind, okay, but the, the, the vault or the horse was the hard one. And this was what my hang-up was. My hang-up was when I ran up to the horse, I wanted to be able to see the board before I jumped on it. Well, if you stop, you're not going to get over that vault. You have to what? Trust that the board will be there. So don't tell me where this hang-up came from, but I think it was maybe trying to control the situation. <laughs> we just can't control everything, ladies, right? So anyway, he said, come in early, I'm going to work with you on this. So two mornings I went in for like 40 minutes, ran and stopped, ran and stopped, ran and stopped. It's the third morning. And I would get up at 5 in the morning and drive into um, my high school, which was about 25 minutes away. And I get there, and I'm, I'm out in the gym, no coach. And I'm thinking, he gave up on me. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm just feeling terrible. He gave up, I don't believe him. It's been two months. I just, I can't do this. And then all of a sudden, he shows up at the door, and he walks in, and I'm like, my heart beats. And he says, so, are we going to do this or not? <laughs> and I, I honestly, it's just like the war. Like, are you going to follow me or not? Are we going to do this or not? I know you're afraid. And I looked at him and I said, yes, sir. He said, good, let's do it. And so I remember standing there and I was like, you have to do this. You just have to do this. It's done. You have to, no matter what happens. So I ran as hard as I could. And I hit that board. And I went so far over the horse that I also missed the map. And the horse tried to save me. I didn't get hurt, thanks be to God. And I get up, and he says, do it again. And so I went and I'm hit over, do it again. So I, I got over, and then after that, 
I could learn all of half on, half off, twist, all of it. I was the highest scorer on the vault. Was my highest. Yeah. So Jesus came into the world to teach us how to do moves. To teach us how to learn who we are in God. He didn't want us to remain in our sin, but he also didn't want us to remain in our uselessness. You know, like he said, I have given you this power. I have given you authority. I have made you my daughter. And I want you to pray as a daughter of the Father. Well, how do we do that, Father? How do we do, I mean, how do we do that, Jesus? When we pray to our Father, we have to think about what we're saying. We are saying, our Father, hallowed be thy name. How is he going to be hallowed? He is going to be glorified and hallowed in me today and in you today. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom. Thy kingdom come today. And so maybe I didn't like it that I had to deal with my daughter's short skirt and I had to deal with these other problems that were happening and get to my meeting. But his kingdom was breaking into the earth because I get up in the morning, made my offering, and proceeded into this day, walking through the snow, trying to find this restaurant, and saying, instead of, I can't do this, say, I can do this. Me and Mayor Tadamola. <laughs> We're going to make it through this day. You know, like, we can do this. Because what we want to do is we want to be like Jesus, who said to the Father, take this cup away from me, but thy will be done. And that's what we pray in that, our Father, thy will be done. Forgive us our trespasses. Every day, the just man or the just woman, the scriptures say, falls seven times a day. It's another thing Mary Michael taught me. Seven times a day. So she's like, why are, don't be so hard on yourself. When you fall, you fall. What did Jesus give us as an example? When you fall, you get up. There's no reason for a child of the king to be on the ground for very long, you know? And then the other thing that we have to remember is when we see other people who have fallen, especially our youth, many youth stay on the ground because no one ever encourages them that there is another way. All they need is for somebody to take the time to encourage them and to teach them that there's another way. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus hung out with the sinners. Jesus wasn't afraid of them. And so when we see sinners in our families, or in our towns, our streets, our church, we have a responsibility always to bring them to the Father. And to say, Father, if there's anything I can do for my, for my children, my grandchildren, or for any of the, of the teens that are struggling in the world, show me what you want me to do today. Oh my gosh, doors just open. 
because you're open. So I was taking a group of teens on a pilgrimage. This was another summer. And I don't know why, but I bought, I always pack up my books. I always pray about what I need, and then I just throw them. I do that for your retreat. Got tons of stuff up here. I, I learn it, and I study it, but I'm not ever quite sure exactly what every person needs. And I don't, I want to give every person, I want Jesus to work through me to give every person what they need. So I throw in this book, what will help me like, by saying, oh, Mons, this the glory. And my husband says, why are you taking that? I go, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to take it. <laughs> so we're coming back from, from San Diego, and I've got this young man on my bus. And the nice part about these long bus rides is that you really get a chance to walk with kids. That's what it means to disciple somebody. You walk with them. And you can't expect, like, the kids or people that you're walking with just to get it overnight. A lot of people, the, the bamboo tree, they just, they just expect to see youth or people convert overnight. It takes time. If God wants to convert them like St. Paul, he can. But often it's, it's a process. Being, and then once you're converted, you've got to be discipled. You've got to learn how to walk in this. Thanks. So anyway, we're coming back, and for some reason, this kid, he's up front, we're talking away, and I always just ask questions. I always just know. If you ask a bunch of these questions, you kind of figure out what, what they're doing and what they're hanging out, who you're hanging out with. So he was hanging out downtown Minneapolis in clubs. And this kid is like 17. I said, well, tell me more about these clubs. And I said, is there drinking there? I can't believe you could get into these clubs. Oh, no, he said, they got clubs where there's no alcohol. You can just go and dance. And I mean, there's other stuff going on there that probably you shouldn't be like, you know. <laughs> and I said, okay, tell me more about it. Why do you like to go? So he's just talking to me about it. And then I said, have you met any people? You know, and I'm just talking. Like, I'm not, I'm just doing my Dina thing. <laughs> the next thing you know, he starts talking to me about how he's met these people that kind of want him to hang out with him. And part of the reason he came on our pilgrimage was he was trying to discern or decide who he was going to follow. And I'm like, oh, like my heart rate goes up. I said, what do you mean who you're going to follow? And he says, well, well, I'll be really honest with you, Gina. They're with a, they're with a satanic occult. I said, wow. And then I looked at him and I said, well, what, what did they promise you? Power? Fame? And I go on a little bit. And he goes, how did you know? That's been going on since the garden. <laughs> That's the same trick that Satan played on Adam and Eve. And he just looks at me, and I pulled out my little book on what will help me like. And I read him the whole thing. <laughs> and my sister, Kathleen, she's like, Gina, at lunch, because the bus takes a break for her lunch. And they, she goes, Gina, I need to talk to you right away. I go, yeah. She goes, why were you reading that point, the entire book of what will help me like? I said, because he needed it. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, okay, I'm going to have to trust you on that. 
<laughs> he ended up deciding to go into net ministries. Yeah. So he really was making a decision on who he was going to follow. This is what our youth are in. They're trying to decide what gender they're going to be. And they're trying to decide who they're going to follow. And whoever loves them best is going to win. And so that's why Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. He is the word that has become flesh who dwelt among us in grace and in truth so that we can know the truth. What is the truth about the situation? And what I did with that young man is that because I was equipped and not afraid, I was more afraid that he would drown in sin and in darkness than I was if somebody would be upset with me because I was quite firm about hell. Okay, does that make sense? And because he had the grace and the truth, he was able to make a good decision and he was able to what? Take his place in the body of Christ. That's what the fight's about. So, so God the Father created the world out of love. And if he wanted to, he could have made us all robots and we'd all get, get along fine. And honestly, I think we'd really enjoy ourselves. Because <laughs> he knows how to do all this stuff, right? But he wanted to give us a higher form of being. And the being was that he wanted to give us the choice between life and death. He wanted to give us the choice to be with him in a relationship with him based on freedom and authentic love. And so he took a big risk in creating us with intelligence and a free will. The free will will operate if it's conformed to his heart like Jesus's was. Jesus was in relationship with his father and he, he enjoyed his father's blessing. When he went out into the waters of baptism, the the clouds parted, and the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And when he made that water, Jesus hadn't sinned. He didn't need to have his sins forgiven. He was making the baptismal font, the holy water, the water of life, holy, by going down into it for all of humanity. For every human being, he went down into the water to make the water holy so that when you and I are baptized, our children are baptized, every human being who's baptized with water and in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they become a child of God. And God makes his home in us. And we belong to him. And most importantly, he belongs to us. He is ours forever, no matter what. And that's the joy of the gospel. That will never be stolen away. So even when Jesus' life, which he freely laid down, For you and I. Why? Because our life in God had been stolen from us. And we couldn't get it back. We were helpless. There's nothing 
we can do. There's nothing anybody can do about this. There's no technology to fix this. There's no drug to fix this. There's no app to fix this. Jesus was the fix. He's what we needed. And so he freely went in to the world and he became one of us in all things but sin. And he showed us what it meant to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father and to not be afraid of suffering, not even death. Because all suffering and all death has already come to an end in him. I like to tell some of the young, um, like I was, I, I do a little bit of coaching. I don't know what to call it. I'm not really sure who I am with this, but I just <laughs> coach along some of some young men and women that I mentor. I had this one young mother one day, and I said, Jesus Christ already took care of everything big for you so you can make dinner tonight. I'll make it. And she, she started laughing. She, I said, that's all in his hands. You need to make dinner, and you need to be joyful. You need to love your kids and encourage your husband because Jesus has taken care of the big stuff. That's what a disciple of God does because our hope is in the eternal one who laid down his life. When Jesus was dying on the cross and the Lord entered into Holy Week, so there's so much that we could talk about with Jesus, but I think the Holy Father in this quote, he said, he said this, that the victory in Jesus was won in a certain sense through the greatest sin that man, woman, could commit. The greatest sin of the whole world ever was the killing of Jesus, the Son of God. It's as worse as we could be. Because the very one through whom we were given life we took his life as humans. He said because of that, when Jesus was on the cross and he prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. That the greatest act of mercy conquered the greatest sin. And then at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the truth that love is eternal and that love conquers all sin and all death forever. And we understand that. We do in our hearts. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
would have eternal life. And not life as a servant or a slave. Because servants and slaves have a place in the house. I mean, I have to be honest with you. There are some people who have servants and pretty nice houses, and I would buy working there. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get to have some pretty good food, but they're not using their pool, you can't. Right? <laughs> so being a servant wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But God didn't want that for us. He didn't want us to be servants, and he didn't want us to be slaves. God wanted us to be his kids. God wanted us to be in his family. That, that raises us up to a dignity that before Jesus Christ came into the world to give us the gospel, was they didn't even have this. There, there's no way, John Paul taught in Malaria Stigmatonum that there was no way that the Blessed Virgin Mary ever thought that the Savior of the world would become a human being. Her son. Something that we take for granted at Christmas. Did you know that? They, they had no idea that the Savior would become God. God would become a human being. It is unthinkable. The Jewish people couldn't even say God's name. But for God to become one of us, to teach us who we are in him. And that's why when we can come to believe in this and have faith in this, and then let, let God start to change us and really walk in his ways, we are simply becoming who we are. And it feels good. I mean, it didn't feel good on some days for Jesus on this earth when he had to fast in the desert and fight off the devil. But, you know, doing those miracles, that was fun. And raising Lazarus from the grave, that was fun. <laughs> and teaching all those people, that was fun. And multiplying the bread, that was fun. <laughs> Jesus enjoys being Jesus. <laughs> and he wants you to enjoy being you. And when the hardships come, he wants you to be like Sister Mary Michael. And say, Lord, send your grace, send your truth. What am I dealing with here? And he wants us to walk through the Red Sea of difficulties like he did. With integrity, with dignity, and with hope. In the power of God to turn this all for our good. And he gave us an example in the worst death possible. The crucifixion. And how did he turn that for Mary's good? Just think of Mary. Pope John Paul II taught that Mary perhaps experienced the deepest kenosis of faith. That she perhaps experienced the worst test of faith. Because her salvation came at the cost of her own dear son.
So when Mary says the Magnificat, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All the graces that were applied to her at the Immaculate Conception were given to her with the promise in Genesis 3.15 of the Savior. I will put a separation between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring, that's all of us, not in the state of grace, because when we fell, we fell under Satan's power, between your offspring and hers. Who is Mary's offspring? Jesus. You will, I think it goes, um, you will hit his heel and he will crush your head. Genesis 3.15. There's going to be a fight. And he is going to crush your head. Some people say she will crush your head. How does Mary crush the head of the serpent? Through her offspring. Through her offspring. And so, so Jesus had many joyful and, and loving times on the earth. His heart burned that he could make an offering of himself. Oh, how my heart is burning for this baptism and how I wish it was fulfilled. Why? Because he knew in the baptism of the holy of the water that would be fulfilled in the baptism of his pouring out his life for us. He knew that the victory was assured. And he put his confidence in God that by taking on all of our sin and our brokenness, that he would be able to fill us again with grace and truth and restore us back to our inheritance. Restoration. You think about if you've ever had a little piece of furniture and you got you get it redone. It's just so nice, isn't it? Or like maybe you get lots of wrinkles and you put on that wrinkle cream and oh, there's not so many today. <laughs> Restoration. Well, Jesus wanted to restore our life. He wanted to restore our inheritance and our relationship with Himself and with each other. Oh, how they love one another. And so, this victory is won, it is achieved through the greatest sin that we could do. God turns it around and he makes the greatest victory and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the res resurrection of Christ, as I said, all of sin, all of death, all of hell is defeated forever. And this is our hope, and it's the hope that we have to bring into our world. And we have to say to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I just don't know if I can talk to people. Like, I don't know if I can do this. But if there's ever anyone you want me to encourage or to help, I give you permission to speak through me. 
or to pray through me. I just, I'm just telling you right now, Blair, because I told him years ago, I said, Jesus, I'm like that little kid that only has a few fish and a few loaves of bread. But I'm giving it to you. If you want to multiply it, go ahead. But I know on my own, I'm like the little drummer boy. I have no gift to bring pum. That was my favorite song. To lay before the king, pum You know? And, and the fact that I loved that song, even as a little child, was because the little drummer boy got to go right into the stable and be so close and just play his little drum. And he did it because he loved that baby. And so whatever we do, if we do it for love, true love, God notices. And in the scriptures, it says that, he says this, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Lord wants us to understand that he's truly preparing a place for us. And that this is not our forever home. And every act of love that we do is eternal. It's never forgotten. I had a dream. I was hesitating whether I should share this, but I told Jesus if he kept giving me these dreams, I would share them. And I guess Don Bosco got dreams too. I hope I don't get those kind of, because they're kind of scary. But I had a dream where I saw a part of my home in heaven. And there was still work to do. It wasn't done. This was years ago. But what I noticed was on every tile in this beautiful, beautiful place was a cross. And so I asked the Lord, what does that mean? And he said, every time you do an act of love, you are helping me to make your home in heaven. That's interesting, isn't it? And that every act of love that we do, especially when we do it for God, he notices. He notices, and it brings him joy. So I'm going to give you this little story. I was talking to a woman yesterday about this, to end this very short. Friday. I got up early to work on my writing and other things. I had to go after, I was like, I've been trying to get up, pray for me, by 5 or 5.30. Because I can get a few hours of quiet work done before the work starts, right? And I got done with that and I was making my daughter's lunch. And I had taken the half a pita, put some lettuce in, put some meat in, put some cheese in, and I'm getting to the cheese part when I hear, it's Friday. 
and I just froze. I just froze, and I was like, oh, I just want to be done with this sandwich. I know she's old enough to make her own, but um, she had asked me if I would just help her with the sandwich part, and she'd take care of the rest, and this is our agreement. So anyway, I stood there, and I thought, all right, now, I know Jesus would understand that this sandwich is made. But I am going to carefully take it apart. <laughs> Very carefully, without grumbling or complaining. I took it apart. I put everything away. I pulled out the peanut butter. Very carefully got the banana. Remade the sandwich. Picked it up, looked up, and said, Love you. <laughs> I would say, how would I feel if one of my kids was going to make me a sandwich and then thought, oh, mom doesn't like this. I'm going to remake it this way because I know she would like this better. You would just be like, oh, that's so sweet, right? That's how God, when we do these little acts of love just for him, it, put, it does console his heart. It does. It makes him happy. Amen? Amen. Okay, in the name of the Father and the Son. Oh, should we pray for lunch? Yes. Okay. Lunch time. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. Look forward to being with you this afternoon. Let's have some direction. All right. I just. I just have a couple of directions.